Well, here we are uh, at the uh, Data-Driven CMO Pain in Progress podcast, where we're speaking with Chris Hummel, Chief Marketing Officer of United Rentals, and before that, Chief Marketing Officer of Schneider Electric and also Unify. And Chris, happy to have you here with us and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Great. Appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here, JP. Wonderful. So, Chris, um, look, we're talking about the the data pains that face the chief marketing officer today. And I think first among those, as I think about them, is the overwhelming amount of data um, that is now being coming in, uh, coming online. We're becoming more aware of it's collecting our systems. We're being told to do something about it, to create value out of it. Uh, sometimes it's trapped in silos, um, uh, technology, culturally, otherwise. Um, maybe just to, we start out by just describing that issue. What is the specific issue that you see with regard to data overwhelm for the CMO? Well, it goes back to, you know, I think uh, long before even the Internet and, and all that, but certainly exacerbated by this shift over the last couple of decades towards digital marketing really being just marketing, but data is lifeblood of what companies are trying to do to engage with their customers. So we could talk for hours about, you know, kind of the history of how it developed and point solutions and individual data silos or individual functions within a business kind of collecting only the data that they needed and then creating, you know, issues in integrating all the data together. But there are two primary challenges that, you know, at the very top level constantly facing. And the first is... um, kind of on the front end, is which customers do I go after? And it's, it's getting access to data. It's, it's understanding kind of, um, you know, especially in the B2B context, which we work exclusively in the B2B context of, it's not just getting access to the company information, but getting access to the roles, uh, trying to find out where they are, what channels they're using, because now you have this plethora of channels. Before it was sort of pretty simple, do I use a direct marketing piece? Do I put an advertisement out or do I send even an email? And now you've got like channels all over the place and super overwhelming sophistication about the possibility of, of trying to find the needle in the haystack. You can actually do it nowadays, but then you do it 10 times and replicate it. So there's kind of this um, complexity at the front end where before it was kind of lack of data and how do I get access to lists? And now it's how do I filter the information to kind of really understand how to target the customer that I'm looking um, from a from a marketing side. The second challenge is kind of maybe at the end of the process, maybe at the beginning of that process, but is all related to um, kind of looking at the whole customer journey. And I know customer journey and customer somewhat overused terms, but if you think about that a brand of a company is essentially the way your customers and prospects in the market sort of perceive your narrative, perceive who, what your company does, who you are, what you mean to the world, that perception is built over a series of interactions. It's built over interactions, some controlled, some not controlled, and trying to understand which of those touch points are most influential, shifting the customer's loyalty, perception towards you in a positive, that's very hard. Um, and it's 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 uh, it's critical because it's not just during the buying process. It's outside the sort of typical buying process. So really trying to map and understand and use the data in a more analytical way to spark across that whole journey. Boy, that's a tough one because as we talked about, all that data is sitting in lots of different places and most of it isn't even captured. 
because it wasn't what people thought about beforehand. You know, your operational system, your marketing systems, pulling all that together to get a 360 view, even of what your interactions are with a customer already is difficult, let alone then figuring out how to um, move them and, and push and pull and engage them. Those are some tough ones. So, yeah, there's lots of technical issues related to this kind of overwhelming uh, data and, and all these silos and that, but I think me as CMO and look, building United Rentals' reputation and our presence with our customers, it's really trying to find the right customers and map to them and then mapping the whole life cycle with us so we can better help them understand what we do. Okay, good. And, and look, right next to the term data overwhelm seems to be um, another term, the idea of these data silos, right? And so just to, and again, this is a podcast for peer chief marketing officers and their teams, what would you suggest is, you know, a data silo and and why does it even exist? So the genesis probably comes from looking at the way IT has developed over the decade. And essentially, and you can look at almost any industry or any part of the IT infrastructure, you had point solutions. So the finance team, right, with ERP, go back to ERP, started looking at financial data and how could they manage transactions um, operationally better. And then you started to introduce CRM, customer relationship management, which at first was really just sales administration. And you started to say, okay, well, what data do I need to manage my sales force, to, to run my pipeline correctly, supply chain and procurement. And what was happening is everybody was looking at the data specifically they needed for the individual piece, because it's what you capture at the front end that defines what you have in the back end. And then there were database companies like an Oracle I used to work for, which used to make an awful lot of money on trying to pull all this together. And the whole concept of relational databases, how do I get one piece of information to connect to another piece of information? But then you're just adding complexity on top of it. And then you had, well, let me pull the data out that I need from all the other systems and create a data mart over here, a a little warehouse of, of the data that I need. But then you get into situations where that data mart doesn't have exactly the same information or is not as current as the other piece. So it just, it starts to, to kind of your infrastructure, you're kind of bandaging it um, over and over again. And then just to add to it now, the pipeline has gotten massive, right? With the kind of explosion of particularly social media and the availability of information about what, what people are saying and brand interactions and all that, now you've got, you know, quantum leaps in the amount of data available that's also coming from other sources. Now you have to deal with data that's not just in nice little buckets and spreadsheets and structured data, as it's called, but now unstructured data, text, commentary, um, you know, what people are saying and all those kind of things. It's just, you know, you're, somebody could sit there and I, I, I can understand, and at times I have been as well, is just overwhelmed and go, where do I even yeah, you know, I, I think for the benefit of our listeners, we sh- I should also point out a little bit more of your background, uh, Chris. You are uh, leading marketing at the nation's um, uh, largest, and it's a Fortune 500 firm, but a nation's largest heavy equipment uh, leasing company. Uh, before that, uh, several tech firms, and then, as you mentioned, uh, roles at SAP and Oracle. So you come at marketing with a technical background, and so I think it's very appropriate. Uh, this next question, um, I think coming from you has a lot of credibility, and, th- and that is taking all of that, all that challenge problem we just pointed out, let's talk about solutions. So, you know, 
how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So what is your recommended plan to your peers for tackling data overwhelm and these crushing and crushing these silos we've talked about? Um, and for confirmation, how might you know? How do you know that that approach works? So one of the best um, JP, it's an interesting question, and, and you know um, the, the best pro, the best sort of solution that I've seen to this this data challenge has really been the identification of an owner. So um, you know whether it's a data librarian or data architect or or whatever the role is you want to call it, a global business process owner for data and what that person ends up doing. So yes, there's all the technology challenges we talked about, but actually one of the, the most successful ways I've seen to combat it is where there's actually a person involved or, or a person specifically tasked owning the data structures of the company in looking at all the different systems and ensuring that they have the same labels and that they're going against the same system. And this involves IT, this involves finance, involves marketing, sales, involves almost everybody in the company. And what um, we then started to do, I know in, in the places that we've I've done this successfully, is we actually then started to lay out one, what's called kind of a metadata structure or a, a definition of all the different pieces of information that we as a company want to have or, or even, quite frankly, not want to have, but have just based on um, the systems and capture we have. With it. And then for each individual data item, named an owner. So there was this kind of overall data czar who said, okay, I'm going to kind of define policy, be a neutral party, kind of own the data structure and make sure everybody adheres to it. But then the individual pieces of data, so it might be like customer name. Okay, who is the person that defines what the name of that company is in our system? Who is the person that defines various contacts or, you know, what, what group is responsible for revenue? Is it sales? Is it finance? Who, who's the person that actually says how much revenue we've got with that customer? And by actually tagging every piece of data with a, at least a departmental owner, created a whole bunch of uh, improvement in just thinking about how the data works across different groups. Because ultimately, this is a collaboration action. It's funny to say that, right? To think about it, it's all it's technical data. You're getting into all kinds of weird stuff like, oh, as I said, relational databases. But in fact, it's a, it's a collaboration problem. It's how to get the different departments, uh, different functions within an organization to actually share a common view of the data. And by putting somebody in charge, that's been the number one we saw. And that, that works at, you know, United Rentals. We're now looking at this where... You know, as you said, we're the largest equipment rental company, not leasing, but rental. Mm -hmm. And then even back at, um, you know, some of the more sophisticated technology companies that worked at, that putting somebody in charge, that's the first thing. Good. And to make that as, as tangible as possible, this is somebody that the chief marketing officer hires. And what are some typical titles of this person that, that, you'd, uh, that you've seen? So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be even the marketing. I mean, okay. it depends, you know, kind of in some cases it's finance uh, that is considered the primary system of record. In some cases it's in supply chain because there's an awful lot of procurement and purchasing. So it, it depends. If you're looking at it from a customer point of view, then yes, I think this is where this role is falling more and more under the purview of the marketing executive. And, you know, the, the titles have been data librarian, data architect, uh, global process owner, GPO, for data. Um, I've even seen it called the data czar, although that, I think, more temporary title. But, um, 
anything that sort of, you know, the concept is really the global process owner for data. And whatever title you want to give that person, you know, you can do, but, but that's really where the value. Okay, great. Chris, wonderful. So let, let's talk about now the, um, the steep learning curve that seems to be required these days for the chief marketing officer to master uh, analytics uh, to, to create organic growth for their firm, um, especially in light of what I'll call the, in, this, in this era, the technology swarm, meaning all of these uh, marketing technology firms that um, are, are trying to get into the, the, the CMO's office uh, many with great ideas and many with um, uh, technologies that will enable that goal and some maybe not so much. But uh, I guess, first of all, are you seeing that at all? Do you see a tech swarm? Um, is it even a problem for you? Oh, my God, it's crazy. There are just thousands of suppliers out there and vendors who are almost trying to you know, automate or offer solutions or somehow get involved with the smallest of, of details or sub-processes to the largest, and I have no idea where they all are, and they introduce themselves, and they say, hi, I'm the market leader in XYZ, and I'm like, I don't even know what XYZ is, and then they describe it, and uh, it's, it's um, I don't even know where to look. I don't even know where to find um, other than I have a problem, you know, I have something I think I need to do, and I just type a search, and then I ultimately find people, but it's... Uh, it's it's a madhouse out there of uh, crazy, literally thousands of vendors. So you're right in the middle of the problem, but if you were to offer some advice to your peers as what to do about it, what you know, tangibly can one engineer a process out of that? Does one shut down the swarm? Does one uh, sort it better? Is it become a whole uh, a function in the marketing division to? Um, uh, make sure you're not only uh, managing the, the inbound, but actually thinking about uh, what is needed, so you're not sort of back on your heels, but you're more on your on your toes with with uh, leveraging technology for organic growth. Well, before we tackle the problem, so to speak, of this, there is a major advantage as well, and this is um, you know kind of now with cloud systems and and the ability to kind of not quite plug and play, but get pretty close to it is. I can take almost any part of my process and I can look for a point solution to it. I don't necessarily have to invest in huge systems and build out major platforms and then add on to them with modules over time and all that kind of stuff. If I have a very specific problem, I'm trying to improve my customer feedback and so I'm trying to shift from phone surveys to email surveys. I can go out and find a, what's called a customer experience management. If I'm looking for I just need to automate um, part of my content distribution or workflow. I can go do that. Like it's difficult, obviously, if you're a small organization and if you're, you don't have a lot of people and those kind of things because it gets very complex to manage that many number of vendors. But, but there is an advantage in you can be very targeted on the solutions that you're finding and therefore you can actually um, get a better ROI, usually. You can get a quicker return on investment. And so... That is actually, you know, one piece of advice I would give is if you have a very specific need, go and find a specific vendor for it and, and look. Just beware of, you know, it has to map into your overall architecture and you have to make sure you're not getting vendor creep and too many people that your own staff can manage and that kind of thing. But that's kind of the advantage of it. The other thing is to remember the root cause. Um, 
if you look at the finance function, it started out in a similar way. That the the tech swarm in finance was all the different pieces that somebody would do budgeting, and somebody would do accounts payable, and somebody would do receivables, and somebody would do treasury, and, and you'd have all these different pieces out there. And then ultimately what happened is it all sort of came together and you start to get a smaller number of suites and platforms. And the reason for that was the definition of what a finance department does is reasonably standardized. If you're a chief financial officer, you generally know what the scope of your responsibilities is. There's always a, something around the edge or based on the personality or based on the kind of tribal history of any company. Your finance department, though, is relatively straightforward in, in terms of what its responsibilities and even what its metrics are supposed to do. In the marketing world, I have never seen two marketing departments that actually look alike right, or that right. run things the same way. They're just, it's almost like a fingerprint. I mean, even in the same industry, if you go from one company to another, the size of the, the spend, the size of the staff, what they do, the process, how they define demand generation, the link to sales is just... It's unique, um, and so there's almost no way to automate the whole process because there's no standardization. And so until that happens, we as a marketing community, until we standardize and, and kind of get a clearer view of what our mandate is, and it's more universal, we're going to continue with this tech swarm, as you called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that as, as kind of the origin of it, um, you know, again, the, the, the way to handle it is seek some advice. Um, as I said, you can go for point solutions that solve immediate problems, and I've done that sometimes very successfully. Uh, and then in other cases, you know, you have to lay out um, an architectural map, and you have to say, okay, well, what is my marketing ecosystem, and how do I build this? And there are some players out there who can, can help do that, but you, you need to take it as almost a multi-year transformational program. And you get involved with the CIO, and that's why the CIO relationship becomes so important, but, um, you know, and that's a... Um, that's a marketing operations function normally is sometimes there are, there's almost a CTO for marketing in that kind of marketing operations role. Again, if your staff is big enough or even if it's not, there's somebody who plays the role to look at the longer term development as well, which is obviously critical. Okay. So pulling uh, a key solution out there is if you're, you can afford it on your team, if your company can afford it, the role of someone to uh, manage and operationalize and and keep an architecture of all of the technologies that are um, you know hopefully delivering your delivering your returns because I have seen this scenario where you know you, you use the phrase point solutions and I I come across it in my work quite a bit where maybe the CMO has inherited somebody else's design maybe it was right maybe it was wrong or maybe it's just outdated but they were getting returns from various point solutions. Now it's a cobbled together mess. Some solutions do two or three things, but not well. Others do half a, th- half a solution um, and not well enough. And so it, you can almost paint yourself into a corner. So managing your way out of just point solutions into long-term architecture, any, any final advice on that? Well, so there's two things you're managing at the same time, and they are somewhat conflicting, but you need to balance them, which is I have specific needs right now that I could find help and improvements to gain ROI in specific sub-areas of my function, and that's the point solutions. At the same time, I need to be careful that I'm not building a Frankenstein, and this thing can all work together, and I'm not creating more hassle and complexity as technology changes. You know, now you've got mobile already mainstream and we're seeing IOT and 
and the Internet of Things and all that. The problem is, and this is the difference maybe between the old conversations in the software world, the best of breed versus best in class, or, or um, you know, sort of best of breed versus suite, is there is no vendor out there today that can offer you a, a full comparable stack for a standardized marketing organization, partially because marketing isn't standardized and partially because those consolidated vendors don't work. As much as Oracle and SAP and Salesforce and others will try and tell you, they are only taking a very thin slice of what the CMO is trying to do. So there isn't an alternative to go and just grab onto a big vendor and say, okay, you're good enough, I'm going to take you and you're going to solve my complexity. That's the struggle that the CMOs are facing right now. All right, good. Well, I'm clear on that. Very strong advice from someone who knows uh, you are going to have to build um, your own custom solutions, um, but be careful not to uh, to make it a Frankenstein. Good. So, so um, let me um, finish off with one deep question about um, the nature of the relationship. Let me turn towards the relationship between the marketing team, marketing leadership, CMO, and then uh, the chief information officer and IT. And we've both seen this, and like you've just said, uh, each company can be different. Uh, who owns and who has a mandate um, for uh, growth through predictive analytics uh, can vary from organization to organization. Um, so it, first of all, just some general commentary about that relationship between CM, CMO and then the folks who are, have traditionally uh, uh, supposed to own technology and how is that changing if you think there's any uh, generalizations that can be made there? Well, I guess the relationship between a CIO and a CMO is a little like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? You know, chocolate and peanut butter are not two things that you would normally think go very well together, but when they do work, it works very, very well. Um, you know, the CIO comes from a more, uh, let's say, scientific, engineering-based kind of profession where they're running projects and those projects reach certain stages and then they have certain life cycles and they kind of, um, they're trying to innovate, but they also spend a lot of their time focusing on operating what they have today. Marketing obviously traditionally comes from a more artistic uh, kind of feel, intuitive EQ kind of side where they're trying to reach customers and, you know, uh, you can't prove everything and the impact of what you have. So, it can be a difficult relationship to find um, that first kind of contact, but there is a lot of common ground. Um, it goes back to what we were talking about data. The two biggest, you know, kind of users of data, if you like, will be the CIO and the CMO. And they're probably the people who look at it from, from two different angles, but when put together, they get a very comprehensive view. So um, it is a, a critical piece of, of the C-suite relationships to have. Obviously, the head of sales is important and the CEO and that, but the CIO is right up there in the top priority. Um, it's also because it doesn't matter whether your company has very restrictive policies about all IT purchases must go through IT or whether you know it's a little more free-for-all that the functional leader can make whatever decisions they want and IT just sets and fixed standards. We all, the, the help of professionals, and so... Even with a broad career, my own career in technology, although I've never been a developer or a techie, so to speak, or propeller head, um, I always seek the advice of the IT team to help me 
um, in selections, even if I have full authority to do it. One, it's just kind of good corporate culture, and two, uh, this thing has to run, and it needs to connect to a whole bunch of other systems, and it needs to operate within the environment that the company has. So getting that relationship uh, right is is extremely valuable, regardless of what your authority is as the CMO, or whether you spend more money on IT than the, the CIO does, or whatever else. It, it's um, it's a partnership that's that's got to be based on you know uh, codependency. Right, right. Now let me paint a scenario. It's certainly not the only scenario, and I'm not assigning this to to you or any company, uh, but it is one that I've come across somewhat frequently, and so. Whether it's your scenario or not, I'd ask you with your experience to engineer your way out of it. So the, 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 the scene that I see is um, uh, somewhat of a mystery uh, between the CMO and the CIO as to who has the full mandate to um, uh, organize uh, technology and analytics to achieve uh, the growth for the firm through the power of data, uh, big data if you want to call it that. Um, sometimes the CIO uh, employing the IT organization is sort of the shackles or control on CMO's decisions. They may want to make investments in various technologies and partnerships, and all of that requires uh, something with a plug in it, and that is uh, consistently owned by the CIO and, and managed by IT, so there's rules and regulations there. A scenario where the CMO does have increasing share of the tech budget, uh, but again, perhaps uh, uh, not full mandate to use it all. Some even feelings of rivalry uh, sometimes. If that's a scenario that, that, or at least one scenario that exists, um, what would you recommend to your peers in that situation? How could they overcome that? If they're starting from a damaged or poorly working situation today, what would you do if that was you to to fix that situation? Very often, the, the kind of scenarios you're talking about are a result of the organization, if you like, and the organizational kind of momentum set up and whatever else. It's usually not the CIO and CMO specifically. It's CIO's organization and the CMO's organization. And rivalries do develop because the marketing organization doesn't traditionally understand all those pieces, but now they're getting, they're becoming more important and they're getting more authority to sort of go and make their own decisions. The IT team is, in their minds, losing some of the control over things like security and data and all those other kind of things to guys or people who don't really know and don't understand. And the IT team doesn't necessarily understand the what we're trying to do with the customers and all that. So the first thing I would try and do in a situation like that is separate the CIO and the personal relationship with the CIO from the relationship with the, the CIOs and from your own team. And um, I know that Dale Aspen, who's the CIO here at United Rentals, he and I have really gone out of our way right from the very beginning when I joined a year ago to build a personal relationship where he and I are aligned on what we're trying to do with digital marketing, what we're trying to do with our e-commerce growth, what we're trying to do with our customer information analytics, so that he and I would then be able to go carry the same message back to both of our organizations. And we get the same things that come up of, usually it's miscommunications or misunderstandings rather than malicious behavior. But if he and I make sure we're aligned and make sure we're connecting, I don't, you know, we, we, we avoid a lot of the, the tempers and a lot of the, the growing mistrust 
by quickly resolving these issues and presenting that common face. So I think, to put it very simply, build a relationship with the CIO that is a personal relationship where you both have a common mandate, regardless of who officially has it, but you're both aligned on what the mandate is. So then you're both telling the same things to your teams, and as escalations and questions come up, you know, I had one recently where somebody on my team said, well, IT is providing a barrier to this and that um, development, and I went to my CIO first. He and I kind of agreed on what should be the right approach, and then went down to both of our teams uh, to kind of squash this before it went on. So divorcing the organizational relationship versus the personal is probably the most successful tactic or approach that I've seen. Okay, uh, great personal advice. Uh, we've just heard from Chris Hummel, Chief Marketing Officer of United Rentals, the nation's largest equipment rental company, uh, here on the podcast for the Data-Driven CMO. Chris, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much. JP, great. I was happy to have the conversation. Wonderful. Take care now.